Uh, yeah, we're back in load shedding town because uh, this is the Overclock ZA podcast episode 127. Thank you for joining us. I've just been unpacking about my life and how everything's. <laughs> and I lost, I lost the Galaxy Bud live. Um, One also, of the buds. Yes, sun related. Um, also at my sister's place, we were leaving and. Then their little dachshund ran out because my son came outside and uh-huh. I just dropped everything. And right. then my wife dutifully picked up stuff, put it in bag and I get uh-huh. home and I want to pop my buds in and I open the thing and there's no buds and I'm like, crap. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> but at least you know there can only be somewhere around where you were sitting, right? Where I was, we were outside getting okay. into the car. Um, so someone made off with one of the buds. Um, uh-huh. So I only have what one. What does that mean, we, someone made know. off? There was we they only managed to find one. Okay. And I used the find my thing as well. Uh-huh. Um, the smart things find, sorry. Uh-huh. Right, right. Rolls correct. off the tongue. Um, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that works fine, but we only found one. So someone just picked one up on the side of the road and went off with one Galaxy Bud Live. So yes. That, 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 Man, that's me. My heart is breaking for you a little bit. I know that you love them and I know that this part of your major kit oh okay we'll we'll circle back to this after the show okay yes but importantly i have one tip to impart right up at the top mm. uh, you know those solar powered battery things where you get like the four bulb the four lights that you can plug in yes 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 uh-huh so you can turn that into a very very efficient ups for your your um backup battery for your router okay if you just get a male-to-male um, DC cable, and then that's a perfectly serviceable 12-volt battery that okay. you can just plug into your router when your power's out. And you yes, can have cause the router, yeah, because, I mean, this is exactly what I'm discovering. When load shedding hits, actually, all of the laptops and things all run on battery, so it's fine. The phones are on battery. It's mm. fine. But if you can't connect to the internet, your productivity is just cut in half. So keeping your router up, especially in our, in my case, where there's fiber and the fiber is not part of the power grid system like you know so yeah. it, it you know that the fiber is still working and everything's great but you can't connect to it so exactly as you say if you can keep the router up your productivity will stay up technically mm. Mm. i mean i did the exercise of trying to figure out if i wanted a fail over lte level solution mm-hmm. um and i mean i could not get the price to make sense to me because you know, as a family of four, everybody's PCs and everybody's phones are connected. For a failover to happen, it's going to be hard to control how much data we we continue to use because everybody's yeah. just, you know, continuing their normal, their typical daily use. And that will be well over 30 gig a day, you know. Mm. So, I mean, there's no way you can buy 30 gig a day of mobile data. I mean, even at its cheapest rate, that'll run you thousands. You know? And your so... editor's salary, Gavin, because obviously you're <laughs> editor of the continent's largest consumer technology <laughs> publication, cleverly named Tech Magazine, so people know what you're talking about. Yes, there you go. <laughs> but talking about wireless connectivity, obviously I live in an area where the we have copper cables running overhead, frequently gets interfered by interfered with um, by my neighbor's trees that they refuse to cut. Um, if you are listening, please cut your trees and remove the beehive from <laughs> your hedge. I am allergic to bees things. I yeah. almost died because of your beehive that you refuse to move, refuse Lovely. to. Re- anyway, um, so I am at the mercy of rain LTE 
because I'm not willing to give up all of my bodily organs um, to afford a, a Vodacom connection mm. at the rate that we burn through data. Yes. But MTN's supersonic air fiber. So supersonic is a company that's wholly owned by MTN and they have a product called air fiber, which is built on Terrorana technology. And we spoke to the CEO, Calvin Collett. So we spoke to another CEO of another company later, and his name was Barry Berman. So yeah, alliterations all over the place with CEOs here, but Calvin Collett CEO of Supersonic Air Fiber. He told us about his product. So, Kelvin, what is Air Fiber? I know, I've said before that Air Fiber is microwave with a little bit of other technology built in. What do you say it is? Yeah, so, I mean, listen, in short, it's the, the important thing to understand about Air Fiber specifically is that um, it's only the last mile, as we call it. So, it's the connection from the house to the tower that's wireless. Outside of that, it's completely fiber back through to, you know, the, the internet and, and, and the rest of the, uh, the core transmission network. Um, you know, microwaves forms, it's a specific sort of set of frequencies that make up microwave. So it is wireless though, at the end of the day. So air fiber is wireless um, and it runs in the unlicensed spectrum or open spectrum uh, realm, which is what, as they call it. Uh, the impression I have is that it's pretty much souped up Wi-Fi. Is that right? No, not really. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, so, so look, Wi-Fi technically is your in-home connectivity, um, whereas this is providing connectivity to the home, and then you'd still have Wi-Fi in the house. So it wouldn't, it's not one or the other, it's both. I mean, it's, it's ultimately the connectivity that provides the internet within the home. Okay, so... I'm in a situation where the air fiber footprint ends 200 meters away from my house. Um, what, would, what is it, the limitations of that footprint if it's running on like LTE or is it just line of sight or, or what, what, what's happening there? So within three kilometers, it's completely non-line of sight, right? Within five kilometers, it's near line of sight. And then 15 kilometers, it's completely line of sight. Okay, so it's, it's a wide footprint. Um, and realistically speaking, you know, you're not gonna have a scenario where you're 200 meters short. You know, there are multiple towers that will overlap and give you multiple sort of coverage. It's unlike fiber where, you know, you either do or don't. Um, this, you know, sort of coverage obviously expands far, far beyond that. But Gavin, what did you get out of that conversation? Well, I mean, the main takeaway for me is I look at all these products in the market. Okay, so now we have fiber. We still have ADSL that's dragging itself along. We have different 5G. kinds of mobile connectivity, you know, LTE or just on the phone or below LTE speeds or high LTE speeds. We have so many connectivity options. And he, in, he, in, in a passing phrase, he said about 5G you know, there's a place in the market for that. And I started thinking about that. And I realized that he, as someone who's been immersed in this industry, he probably has a better view of what solutions work for which kinds of users. Mm. And if he says there's a workable home 5G solution, it's because he's looked at it closely. And even if, if Lindsay and I can't figure out what the use case would be, he obviously believes there is 
a workable 5G solution for the home. And so his own solution, which is not 5G, the supersonic solution, he also maintains there's a space in the market for this. And I felt that I believed him intuitively. I mean, one of the things he said was we could use this in a sort of semi-rural environment mm. or something outside like of I heavily built up urban. <laughs> yeah, out where Lindsay lives, out in the, you know. In the sticks. Um, yeah, I sent what do you him, think? I sent him my address and I sent him my email cool. uh, and I showed him a picture of what their coverage map looks like and where my house is okay. and the laughable 200 meters of distance. Uh. So he was saying, so air fiber is not 5G, but it operates on a sub six spectrum, a 5.8 gigahertz um, spectrum, which is unlicensed. Um, it's still within the kind of Wi-Fi kind of range. Yeah, range, yes. Uh, but he was very careful to avoid my direct question. I hit him with right up top where I was <laughs> like, is this microwave? And he was like, it's a collection of technologies. Um, so mm. within three kilometers, you don't need full line of sight. And then at the limit of one tower sites kind of footprint mm. at 15 kilometers, you need direct line of sight. So they using the Terrorana technology uses beam forming so like there's six beams of signal being sent out and then the thing the little a4 size dish thing kind of collects them all in one point and it's it's a really interesting tech but i'm still at a loss about what exactly it is i know we've spoken about it before and i did say it's microwave with some lte kind of components mm. and it's one step away from 5g as far as I can tell. Yeah, it's also one step away from Wi-Fi, as far as I can tell. Yeah. It's it's using a hybrid of those two technologies. Are, are, are you talking about WiMAX? Um, well, <laughs> now you bring up WiMAX. I was a big believer in WiMAX. Then again, I was a big was believer in LG phones and see how that ended. <laughs> okay, WiMAX, WiMAX was supposed to be a metropolitan area network based mm -hmm. on Wi-Fi protocols. I don't know why this didn't work. It had all the hallmarks of something that should work. Anyway, so couple of things about this guy's offering that struck me. Um, at its peak, it will compete with basic fiber. Mm. So they're, they're planning to go up to 100 meg uh, per second yeah. Yeah, speeds. Um, and that would be comparable with the normal fiber we get today. Mm. Um, but they're not there yet. But he also says they can go much faster than that. But I'm pretty sure that once they have customers on the line and in sharing and contention, it's probably not going to get much better than fiber. You anyway, said the sites can get up to seven seven times what they expected, but yeah. so they're not even like revving it hard yet. Yeah, but I think that's kind of in a perfect world with no interference, and you know, I think it's not going to make commercial sense for them beyond a hundred meg. So, okay, so for the listeners, if you're trying to figure out what's going on. They do come and install a little dish, small dish, about the size of an A4 page on your house. We think it's a combination of radio waves and microwave, which is a different kind of radio wave. Um, and that allows it to bend around buildings like traditional cellular that we're aware of. But I think for optimal long distance adequate coverage, it needs line of sight. So your dish will have to be able to draw a line straight to the nearest cell tower, mm. you know, which may be quite far away. But of course, if you're in a rural area, it, that might be fine. You're not dealing with skyscrapers and stuff, or for that matter, double story houses. So 
I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Can you remember any of the pricing on that? Um, I forget, but it was very much in line with current yes. fiber pricing. So almost it's identical like, to fiber pricing. You can price. get like yeah. five megabits per second for like 300 bucks a month or something like that. Uh, and then it goes that. up. Yeah. And mm. it goes up from there, which was interesting. I didn't ask him what the upload speeds are. Um, but yeah, that's a conversation for another day. Gavin, mm. Amazon is buying MGM. Yeah. So Metro Goldwyn Mayer is how most people know it. It's, you know, been one of the corners of the movie industry since forever the lion yeah the lion roars at the front i personally think that amazon's video offering which i've subscribed to since it was available here is actually pretty good Lindsay thinks the user interface for their app on tvs and on phones is clunky and horrible but just in terms of video content there's a lot of good stuff there i'm finding and if anyone has deep pockets it's got to be amazon so even if Netflix is the industry leader, let's remember all Netflix eggs are in one basket, which is video mm. streaming service. Amazon has got so many different ways to slice and dice the digital market, you know, from retail to web services. So video is just another thing that they're doing. And uh, 8.5 billion doesn't sound like a lot of money for a major movie studio, I must say. But I'm pretty sure that 8.5 billion is as nothing to Amazon, frankly. You know, if it wants to compete directly in an industry with Netflix or Apple or anyone else, they will just spend their way there. And that's what they're mm. doing. For those who are interested, MGM includes, for example, the James Bond franchise in the way that, for example, um, uh, who, um, uh, who ended up with oh Disney ends up with the Marvel franchise, which yeah. is just like cash cow. I mean, the James Bond franchise is not as big as the Marvel thing, but I think you've got to have those kind of... Apparently, anchor. there's talks of, of DC going to Disney as well, which I will appreciate because, um, I'm sorry, but you had the entire DC animated universe as source material to yeah, both yeah. cinematic franchises off of, and you didn't DC do so has got some of the best characters. Again, for those who don't know, DC is the kind of big competing comics franchise to Marvel. Batman, for those Superman, who are not familiar with the comics Woman, world, Aquaman. it's Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, The Flash. Uh, who else? Uh, a whole lot of other. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder where DC is going to end up. But it's, it's interesting because the game is just getting pretty hot, really. You know, it's interesting to see who's got what franchises, who's positioning themselves where and so on. I hope the consumer ends up winning out of this. That's all. Mm. Yeah, no, I think they will. Um, we'll get content up the wazoo, just franchise movies till like the end of time. Uh, what I'd like to know is why don't we have Amazon Prime? For those who don't know, Amazon Prime basically bundles together a whole bunch of stuff. Same day delivery from Amazon services, the video service, I think the music service and a special pricing on special Amazon days and so on. So you pay once for this package every month and you get all these things bundled in there. I yeah, think the you reason get, we don't have get, it here is because we don't really have Amazon shopping. You get reduced rates on, on Amazon Music. Um, yeah. So instead of paying, I think it's $10, you pay $7 or something like that. Mm. Um, yeah, we, we don't have a fulfillment center. They can't yeah. do the delivery in-house. I cable do believe yeah. um, there's a lovely large warehouse that's almost complete now um, yes. by the airport in Cape Town. Uh, I think we counted 16 warehouse bays where the trucks will come in and do their things. 
And then my wife turned to me and she was like, I think you're right. Eh? I think that is going to be Amazon because no, ah. she works in, she works with retail channels. Yeah. Um, so she knows that there's no one big enough in the yeah, country. It's, it's been like an open secret, really, because they've been hiring left, right and center mm. in Cape Town specifically. And being based at the airport is what they're all about. Uh, we also know from the telecoms players that they're busy jacking up the telecom service in that exact space to 5G just because a huge client like Amazon will probably yeah. be really tantalizing. Yeah. yeah, if you're driving by the airport um, on the N2 in Cape Town, you can. If you have a 5G phone, you'll see. You'll just get a little bit of 5G going on there with, with Vodacom. Um, Gavin, you attended. I did not. Microsoft Bolt. Obviously, my electricity was off at the time. What uh, happened at Microsoft okay. Bolt? So Microsoft Build is, again, super techy. It's like much like Google I.O. that we reported on last week. It's really about developers, programmers who are creating stuff for the Microsoft universe. Um, but they've, they've done quite a good job of making a lot of it sound more consumer friendly. So um, for me, the single biggest thing that came out of it is that they are aggressively encouraging developers to now develop for the ARM architectures. We've discussed ARM many times on the show. Um, ARM are basically the microchips that go into lots and lots of mobile technologies these days. They're the leading chips for mobile technologies, but they are different to what Intel and AMD have been producing for years and years. And I think Microsoft can see that ARM might be the way forward, especially after what Apple produced just you know a few months ago which disrupted the whole industry. So um, one of the first signs we see of Microsoft warming up to ARM is that it's released an SDK, System Developer Kit, just for working on ARM, and it's very aggressively priced. And this allows you to run Windows apps inside a 64-bit emulator, for example, so that if you have apps that were developed for Windows, you could now run them on uh, machines that don't traditionally run Windows, the apps will still run inside the emulator. So, so that, that was, opens the whole world to them. So now you don't have to run Windows. They can still get in there. Mm. That was the big win, I think, for Apple when it moved to the M1 chip. Yep. Was yep. that the Rosetta 2 that they used, which was the virtual machine, which runs the emulator to use all mm. the old stuff, was working at the same speed. Like you could, users could not detect any latency. Um, yeah. between the, the, the encode or the decoding. I think that lit a fire under Microsoft's ass, frankly, because, you know, when, when Apple, again, just for the sake of the listeners, when Apple launched this revolutionary M1 chip, the biggest problem was that some heavyweight apps had not been adapted to work on the M1 chip. So in order to make sure that users had a great experience, Apple had to release a kind of an emulating virtual environment in which those apps would still run on the new M1 chip. Microsoft probably looked at that and went, damn, look how well that stuff's performing. We must get ours to perform just as well. Normally, when you run an emulator, you take quite a big performance hit because, you know, you've got extra layers of stuff that has to be translated on the fly. But Apple did such a great job of it that I'm sure Microsoft targeted that as a must have. Mm. You pulled a couple of quotes here from Satya Nadella. Yeah. <laughs> the the, Nadella, the boss of Microsoft. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and one of them really stood out to me. It was like, hey, if you want to be cool, go join someone else. If yeah. you want to make others cool, join Microsoft. I think that's brilliant, man. That's brilliant. That's what I'm all about. This whole culture of building up things, you know, and, and ego stroking and stuff. I'm like so over it, man. And people who are just incredibly self-centered, everything's about them all the time. 
I love the way such as moving the focus away from that stuff. It doesn't have to be about you all the time. You know, mm. it's about you and something bigger than you. you know? <laughs> so the other thing is there's the other thing that we can read out the quote here. Um, if you've listened to our show or if you take any interest in the development of tech at all, you've probably heard companies like Facebook and especially companies like Google say, move fast and break stuff. In other words, bring things to market, fix it later. Mm. And such as such as quote is as follows. Tech is becoming so pervasive in our lives, in our society and economy that when it breaks, it's not just about one tech breaking or one company breaking. It impacts us all. His point is that whole gung-ho mentality of just shipping things to market and fixing it later can actually have a very big impact, especially, I suppose, if you have corporate clients like Microsoft does, because all these things are not interconnected. And if one thing goes down, it can take down a whole lot of things with it. So you can't release half-baked stuff to the market is what uh, Nadella is saying. Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Talking about half-baked things coming to market, Clubhouse is not one of those things. <laughs> Launched on Android, been on Android now for about a week. Um, and it works flawlessly, pretty mm. much exactly the same experience as you would get in an iOS device. Gavin, have you accepted my invitation yet? No, man, I have just not got around to it. But the other thing that's happened is that I feel like some of the shine has gone off Clubhouse. Yes. I'm hoping that there was a huge uptake and now it's going to right size into what it should be rather than just a lot of hype. So I am still keen for you and I to go there and maybe host a show at some point. I'm still keen to do that. I'll get the spaces is where it's at, man. We need to get the show onto the spaces, although we can't record it from there, but there are ways and means to get around that. We have technology. We are technology professionals, Kevin. Technology professionals who watch streaming (laughs) content and you are getting a bit (laughs) hot under the collar here about Showmax Pro. I hate it. I hate the fact that they've now split the thing and have... For the haves and the have-nots. Like, yeah. what is it now? 600 rand. That's like two-thirds of what the full DSTV <laughs> subscription costs. That makes, like, no sense. I mean, Showmax was the cost-effective alternative to DSTV. But you believe this is the future? Well, no. My, my point was that um, Multi-Choice has added the Euro soccer mm. into the Showmax Pro bundle. And just by chance... I happened to watch some of the Bundesliga soccer. That's the Russian, uh, Russian, the German um, premiership, for those who don't know. And the quality of the soccer was like so much better than you see in the English premiership, to be honest. The quality of the soccer was fantastic. Watching How did you like the camera angles, though? Yeah, it was all, it was all, well, it was kind of novel. It didn't feel like the blimmin' English premiership, which I find so boring and conservative. So it occurred to me that something like adding Euro soccer to Showmax might well be a draw card for some kinds of people. It would mm. work on me if I thought I could reliably watch top quality European soccer, I would consider something like a Showmax Pro. Not at 600 Rand, not at 600 Rand. Not when um, uh, uh, Netflix and Amazon and all these other people are like 100, 150 Rand. Where do they come from with 600 Rand for Showmax Pro? That's ridiculous. Yeah, so crazy. what's going on, of course, is that I think it's time for multi-choice to start panicking about their market evaporating. Certainly, I think they've seen people desert DSTV in in droves because the same kind of people who had a thousand rand for their DSTV subscription are the same people who have computers in their homes, fancy TVs, iPads, broadband, iPhones, 
yes, iPhones, this kind of thing. And so the competition for those customers is much more hectic, I think. So mm. I think something like the sport thing, I mean, so I think multi-choice is panicking and it's thinking to itself, okay, if we're going to lose customers to these other services, we A, must have such a service so that we can be amongst them. But their problem is they need to charge so much more because they have massive costs that Netflix, Amazon, others don't have. Mm. The biggest cost amongst them is the live sport problem. So live sport and the advertising around live sport has been really what the multi-choice business has been about for years. Mm. Um, yeah, so so there's a lot. Why well, I asked you specifically about the camera camera angles in the Bundesliga mm. uh, because the advertising boards at the Bundesliga stadiums are a lovely piece of augmented reality technology. Mm. It's developed. It's a Scandinavian bit of technology developed by a company called Supernor, and they mm. can geo-target and overlay whatever advertising to whatever region, to whatever city, to sometimes whichever device the advertiser is willing to go onto. So with the FA Cup. Um, people will argue or complaining about the camera angles there because for the technology to work, you need a static shot. Yeah. And then you can pan around that shot, but not too much like dynamic. Yeah, that's your square on shot. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's more, I think it's 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 kind of to like a, a, a tablet kind of viewing experience or a laptop viewing experience. Mm. Um, and it's definitely kind of to the stream as well because it doesn't break down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you get different angles and you get like more things in the shot and then the stream breaks down and needs to recomposite and all that, then you get that confetti on the, on okay. the screen. So, yeah, 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 the dragging, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, there was Nedbank actually had an ad flight for like four minutes in the FA Cup. I oh, found really? it really interesting. Did you so see there's it? a local, oh, yeah, there's a local agent who's, huh. who's, who's selling that. Um, okay. I'm also a uh, long-suffering um, Chelsea supporter. Okay. Um, I don't well, know what Champions League final on Saturday. Yes, I'll see in the Champions League final. Hopefully, yeah. something good will come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, just a snap, a snap survey, a two-person survey. Uh, your view on the four or five streaming services we do have in South Africa, and which is your favorite, and why? So it's Showmax, Netflix, Amazon. What's the fourth one? Uh, uh, Disney. Uh, no, no we Disney's don't have not here Plus. yet. Apple. Yeah. Oh yes, Apple. Apple. Um, I think at the moment, I'm, I'm, and you're gonna laugh now. I think <laughs> Apple TV Plus has crept into my heart because of the uh, quality of the content available there, and because I don't, I'm not gonna sit there and watch like hours and hours and hours of content i have very specific shows that i watch mm. that aren't on the streaming services that we get here okay um so i either have to catch it on like dstv it's like hbo shows and like mm -hmm. some of those shows um but when it comes to stuff that there was there's a thing a limited series running now called 1971 the year music changed or the year that okay. music changed everything all right and it's just an incredible production. And I yeah. love that sort of music documentary. The, like the impact of music on popular culture. Okay. This, is on, on, this is on Apple TV+. Yeah, Plus. Apple yeah. TV+. Plus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that, yeah. that's my favorite right now. That's the thing. I'm, see, I am reluctant to make a commitment to these companies for like one or two gems. You know, I, I am very committed to my Netflix. I'm quite committed to my uh, Amazon as well. 
I'm less committed to my show, Max. I feel like, you know, I'm getting to the end of the shows I wanted to watch mm. there. The only reason I might retain Showmax is sport. And in fact, the next thing I want to pay for on the internet is sport. It doesn't even have to be live sport. It just has to be a lot of reliable sport with some choice mm. in it. Um, uh, I don't know. How does ESPN figure in the Disney offering? Um, I'd, 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 I'd rock it. We can get ESPN on the ESPN app and then like have a separate thing there if you're I subscribing, see. not okay. in the Disney Plus bundle in South Africa. All right. But like, I, I'm, I'm at this point now where I think my internet connection is ruining is my experience. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because for like productivity stuff like this call is being recorded over Skype. Um, yeah. Like other video kind of calls for work and connecting to remote servers and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Rain is awesome. But mm. when it comes to media consumption, oh, it's a slog, bro. Yeah, slog. and video consumption is the biggest hog yeah. generally in the world. Yeah, but okay. I mean, I'm I'm a YouTube guy myself. Yeah, so that's true. I'm always going to be on 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 the tubes. Uh, yes. Moving on, you are concerned. You want me to defend Apple, Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> well, try. I just I don't see how this is defensible, to be honest. Lay 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 your charge. Okay, Apple. so <laughs> so China has turned to Apple and gone, right, all your Apple user data, all your Apple services, your iPhone users, your iCloud, your Apple TV, whatever, all your users that live in China have to have their personal details hosted in China. So Apple prefers to keep that stuff consolidated to a central kind of location, which might be somewhere in Europe or otherwise in the US. China is insisting that the personal data for its citizens can't leave China has to be in China. Um, and Apple, for all its talk about how it's going to um, preserve your privacy and all that, just caved immediately on this issue. This wouldn't be such a big problem, except that the company that runs the data center where Apple is planning to house all this data is, in fact, uh, funded by the Chinese government, which means that that company will have no leg to stand on if the government comes to it and says, right, we want all the information on this dissident over here so we can clap them in irons. What the hell is Apple going to do in that situation? So I think they've caved here because they can't survive without the Chinese market. They've just made so much money out of penetrating China. And, you know, in a way that Google and others can't get into China, mm. there are other brands that can't get into China. Apple is trying to clean up before anybody else gets in there. Um, and um, I think they just caved spectacularly right here. So, um, you know, this whole kind of we're looking after you is bullshit. It's all about the money. And my bigger picture is, of course, that Apple is positioning itself to take over the world. And I don't say that lightly, and I'm not even exaggerating. If you accept, for example, that government has become completely impotent and really the world is being run by corporations, the biggest of those corporations is the Apple company. And I think that we would be very foolish to cuddle up to Apple and think that they have our best interests at heart. They do not. It is about world domination. It's not about anything else. That's my story. And you heard it first here. I know you all think that Apple is such a lovely company and wasn't that Steve Jobs such a lovely man? And look how pretty my phone looks. <laughs> Come on, people, wake up. These people are busy absorbing your life into their grandiose plans for world domination. You are a part of the problem if you're cuddling up to them. Mr. Okay. Shooters. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. Mm. Yes, they have caved. So is Tesla. Tesla is just about 
done building there, or at least they've yeah, decided. Yeah, but Tesla doesn't tell you that you're, they're going to look after you. You know, Apple's like, well, don't worry, you're safe with us. You know, so not- there are very few companies that can do business in China. Like, look at look at uh, general data protection, uh, GDPR stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the EU, the EU's privacy laws. Everybody has to play ball with that. Um, there's certain things that you cannot even advertise in UK because that's the laws of the country, man. The way that country decides to run itself. Yeah, I know, but what if that contradicts your company ethos directly? But because you that's want what's to going make on. money. Now you have to choose. And so what now do you, you choose? You know, choose why? Why? <laughs> why? Why? Why is this? I, 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 I can't see why this is such a grating problem. If they want to operate in China. They need to play by certain rules, and yeah, those are them be the, the breaks, man. Yeah, but then they can't go around shouting about how they're looking after their users and how they're protecting their users' calls. It's a lie. They're all about the money. If they were going to protect their Chinese users, they would have refused to do this whole data housing thing with this company that's essentially an extension of the government. Um, you know, but they didn't. They just caved. And they're not even going to get heat over it. Why? Because your main Apple consumer is busy ordering a pumpkin latte with soy froth wow. on top and stuff wow. like that. That's who your Apple that... consumer is. And they don't care about human so, rights so in China or I, anywhere else. I enjoy the fact that they try to do things everywhere else. They start important conversations. They design beautiful hardware. And they have excellent software integrations as okay. well. Mr. Shooters, I'm afraid you're going to be first up against the wall when we fight back against the corporations. I'm going to put you first up against the wall. Oh, my goodness. We're talking about aided and abetted these buggers coming in here and destroying our lives. Not, Talk... not that I'm, like, so obsessed with, you know. He says, politics. back hmm. on the Samsung phone, I was Samsung free for, like, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I must yeah, say, I it is a joy, though. Um, I'm on a Galaxy Note 9. Uh, two points, two points, two important points here. One, it's uh, stuck on One UI 2.5, mm-hmm. I think. So that's Android 10. So my LG G8X is also an Android 10. LG has got a more recent kind of update, which brings in the new UI elements, like the volume yeah. adjusting graphic that goes next to the volume buttons yeah. and all those little it's little things. Plus or something like that, yeah. Yeah, but um, the the Samsung doesn't. But all the Google apps look like the very newest things and all Samsung's pre-owned apps as well. So, like, my my question is, if the security patches are up to date and you're still getting all of the functionality, like, baked into the skin that they are putting on top of Android, does it really matter that I'm on Android 10 year and not on Android 11, which is the current flavor and not going to go into Android 12, which is the upcoming flavor. I lost the thread of your question. Are you saying that if you're stuck on Android 10, but you're still getting all the benefits because of one UI and all like the system apps and the Google apps that are being updated on an app level. Yeah. Is it, is it, is it a train smash that like the kernel, is still <laughs> Android 10, not 11. Yeah. 
again, you're a use case of like 1% of people who are power using Samsung's decks. <laughs> I mean, the point is you're 1% now, but we know that in somewhere between five and 10 years time, this <laughs> will be the default way to compute. It will be with a single massively powerful device that you can carry in your pocket. You just got on the train kind of super early. It's like having a fax machine and have no one to fax because no one else Devin's has bought one. Devin's you know? talking about the ability of Android phones to have a desktop operating system kind of overlay. If you plug it into a compatible um, display or HDMI adapter, then it gives you a desktop experience, which is only on Android right now. Um, the other thing I was going to say is having full powered Samsung Pay with MST and um, NFC. Mm. So it clones the magnetic strip, all that stuff can use it on any point of sale device is it's a breath of fresh air. I cannot understand why Samsung walked back on that. Okay, but again, it's like that use case of like 1% who <laughs> needs the magnetic strip thing, man. Jeez. It just okay. opens up like I can leave the house now. I did what, and I was like driving. I was going to go throw in fuel. And I realized, oh, crap, my wallet's in my other bag, which is okay. at home. And this is I, where that the payment system comes into yeah, turn. I, I didn't yeah. have to turn back. So you were talking about consumer choice. What handsets can people buy right now? You you picked up an MTN hands uh, booklet for this yeah. month, and what did you find in there? So um, just to add to your your phone desktop story, I'm now trying to catch up with Lindsay just because he's done such a good job of soft selling me using the <laughs> phone as a desktop thing. I thought, well, if he can do it, I'm sure I can do it. My goodness, it was just a, a miserable failure. The first time I tried to use the phone as a desktop thing, it just worked brilliantly because I used Samsung Dex and I used early Huawei before the Huawei we have today. Yeah. I just plugged those in and they just worked. Okay, a desktop just appeared on my TV. I just clicked on things and everything worked. Now I try to do it kind of natively. I tried to use the Android 10 version, didn't work. I tried to use a new Huawei, didn't work. Various things all didn't work. I got some of them working partially eventually, but we're going to return to this topic because this is the computing of the future. Importantly, but the P40 Lite that you have there is not a top-end Huawei device. It might sound like one. Your Android must have, it must be able to deliver HDMI out through the USB Type-C port. Okay, okay. So, I mean, I mean, it's interesting because Huawei's much-discussed operating system called Harmony, we expect will launch in a couple of days, actually. I'm really mm. looking forward to that. So I'll be having the Huawei devices come back to me so I can test that, and then I'll be able to test the desktop thing for sure. I've requested the a Mate 40, 40 Pro so mm. that that can be in my pause when... Harmony OS lens. Yes, yes, that's my plan, exactly. Okay, but the, your point was, I went through the most recent MTN brochure. I always make a point of picking up their, their big fat A4 size brochure just to see what consumers are using to interface with the cellular world. And I always look through to see what phones are represented, who's running the biggest promotions, who's got the most phones in the mix, and so on. And um, it's very unscientific, of course, because I'm just flipping through the brochure. But what emerged was that Samsung completely dominates the phones available to a consumer from the low end to the high end. Every page just about has got Samsung offerings on it. Some Samsung phones come up like six different times through the course of the brochure. Um, so 60% of all the phones in the brochure are Samsung. Um, and then 10% are Apple. Now, Apple obviously only make a few handsets, but because these are often the most lucrative customers, I think they push the iPhone quite hard in mm. the contract thing. 
Um, 10% was Huawei, which is unusual because we all know that Huawei's been kind of knocked back a bit. It's interesting that they can have just as much exposure as Apple in the brochure, even though, you know, they're nervous about moving those phones. Mm -hmm. Huawei must be paying for that privilege, I think, to be 10%. 10% of the models are Oppo. Oppo only arrived in the country like six, eight months ago, and they're doing really, really well. They only have four models in the market, but they've all done very well, those models. Um, and then the, the smallest player was Vivo. Vivo comes from the same stable as Oppo. Everyone knows that. I only saw two models in the brochure I had, which is kind of disappointing because I think Vivo got off to a good start. But in the MTN brochure I looked at, there were only two Vivo models available of, mm -hmm. I think, five or six they have in the market. And then, you know, there were outliers like cat phones, you know, the ruggedized phones that people mm. use in industrial environments. What was missing was Nokia, not a single Nokia, Xiaomi, not a single Xiaomi. Mobicell, who used to be all over these things, also basically disappeared. Techno, a brand we've discussed several times on the show, mm. also not appear. And of course, LG, because LG is out the game. So Nokia, Xiaomi, Mobicell, Techno, LG, none of these players were in the brochure at all. You know, this to be seen in the in the context of Samsung having 60% of, you know, mm. space in the brochure. So I don't know what you think of that. I'm just going to run through that again. 60% of all the phones available to you are Samsung. 10% is Apple. 10% is Huawei. 10% is Oppo. 5% is Vivo. And then 5% is the cat rugged phones, which are very niche case. No Nokia, no Xiaomi, no Mobicel, no Techno, no LG or any other brand. Mm. Your thoughts, sir? Um, I've been trying to shop a protective case um, for the LG G8X, thank you. Mm. And I think the only LG cases I've seen, and I've gone to like super lengths, are mm. like the K7 whatever, mm. and that's it. Like you walk into some place and you're like, LG cases? And like, no, 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 <laughs> no, we, we don't do those things here. I haven't seen any Nokia stuff. Um, yeah. And that, that I mean, if if like the big places like Gadget Time and like all the <laughs> the Pakistani outlets <laughs> are not carrying any silicone cases for outside of like Samsung, Huawei, Apple, mm. now Oppo you're seeing a little bit of and Vivo. Oh, I haven't seen Nokia's in a while. I haven't seen yeah. Xiaomi stuff in a while as well. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's telling. And that's, I it's depressing. It's really depressing. Mm. I we, we need to shake up the market somehow. We need to popularize the fact that the S21 Ultra is not the super phone that everybody <laughs> makes it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I had a very good experience <laughs> with Samsung's A32. Now, that's a 5,000 Rand phone. I will bet that Samsung doesn't even want me to talk about their A32 phone because the way Samsung works is they... They pitch hard on their high-end phones so that you will end up buying the one you can afford further down the chain. But you've got to know that they are the leader in the industry. That's how they've marketed their entire company and brand, you know. You know, they're not they're not big fans of me right now. Um, uh -huh. I've, I've heard this through, through yeah, the grapevine. Samsung has just become common in garden and it's like a safe option. It's a Toyota Corolla, it, basically, you it, know. It is the option that I steer most people to if they are not willing to take on yeah. the bug, the... the um, baggage of the iPhone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. I mean, just because Samsung occupies 60% of the brochure doesn't mean that is reflective of, of how good its products yeah. are. Yeah. Oppo, I mean, you know, Oppo that's the problem. Right in there with some good stuff that A72, yeah. the A74 5G. 
Um, that is a great device. Reno 5, I find a bit strange that Reno 6 is like incoming in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, of international launch. Yeah. yeah. And Reno 5 like just came out last month. Yeah. <laughs> it's been happening a lot, but the same thing happened with the Mate 40. You know, it was like four or five months delayed. Anyway, mm. moving on, FNB says that contactless payments have surpassed chip and pin payments. This surprises nobody. Since we've all. <laughs> They had to like maintain social distancing for like the last year. Right. So, I mean, what's interesting to me is their virtual card thing, which they didn't even start. I think Capitech were the first to do this. Hmm. The virtual card means you don't get any physical plastic card at all to use at till points. Um, it exists only on your phone. I think hmm. there's like a, an, an image of a credit card on your phone, but it's just a virtual instance of a phone. And they've activated 200,000 virtual cards at FNB. So FNB, as usual, owning its reputation as the most, most technologically mm. progressive of all the banks. Um, virtual cards have a whole lot of advantages. So when you use them, the CVV number on the back changes all the time so that it's almost, almost impossible to use fraudulent mm. because every time you use it, you have a different CVV number, which generates automatically on your phone. Mm. Um, and you can, you can stop it or freeze it at any time just from the app in the phone, and you can create a new card, a new virtual card just from within the app. You know, mm. So there's a whole lot of ways in which they've reduced the risk on this thing. But I must say, I think it's quite hard getting your head around the virtual card thing yeah. that you actually don't have the piece of plastic in your wallet that everybody you know finds comforting yeah so the nice thing on android is you can use obviously nfc um, android phone with like your banking app so fnb standard mm. bank all mm. that you can create the virtual card and then use the virtual card as your tap to pay card yeah. um, and then you can deposit money in there so that you're controlling like your budget um, mm. on that card as well and if in the very, very unlikely event, near impossible event that it gets cloned or stolen or something happens mm. to it that someone can defraud you on that card, it's it's like a nice little sandbox of bank. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sandbox, that's have, a good way to look at which it. Which is yeah. great. I'm a big fan. Um, FNB, uh, until they start rolling out with like Apple Pay or something else, start playing nicer with like they they on Garmin, they on Fitbit Pay. Yes. Don't know why they didn't do Apple Pay. Um, that's probably coming within the next couple of months. They were one of the last to get onto Samsung Pay. Um, that's quite strange because they have been technologically so progressive. Yeah, but they want to push their own product, which is the problem that I, I see, have with FNB. I see. Like and they, they see no threat from Garmin or from Fitbit because those yeah. are all niche products. But Samsung would be a big mainstream thing. Same with Apple, I suppose. Talking about other things that most people should have. Um, if you are listening to this podcast, you are probably of the, you have internet at home. You probably have a little bit of money to spend on some internet infrastructure and network attached storage should be your next purchase. Ooh. Mm. We're going to refer to network attached storage as NAS from now on because that's the industry term for it. Um, Lindsay's been like a big user of NAS. Yes. I have several NAS in my home, none of which I'm using. <laughs> okay. No, that's not strictly true. I've warmed up one of them recently and started reusing it. So NAS was good for storage. Basically, mm. you're backing up all your household devices. And then if you're like multimedia mavens, like Lindsay and I, you, you're storing all your multimedia on there. You know, all that legal music you downloaded and those legal movies you downloaded. Yes. 
You can store them all on your NAS so that you can get them anywhere in your home on any device and play them. Um, but, you know, I found that since the streaming music and streaming video came into my life like mm. three or four years ago, the NAS has just become less and less important. So I still do occasional backups of our personal devices and so on. But increasingly, I want people to just back up into the cloud so that we don't have to maintain these devices anymore. Mm. Uh, what do you use your NAS for mostly, Lindsay? Um, media storage because of my challenging streaming um, right, video. Right, right kind of mm. situation mm. Um, it's just easier to uh, especially those shows that I was talking about that don't exist on the streaming platforms that are in this country um, right. and I like to see things in near real time right. and um, I obtain them through certain thingies and then my NAS my uh, Synology disk station 218 plus I think it is um, it has a, a bunch of software on it that it is its computer, a computer in its own right. Yeah, those those Synology software suites are actually very cool. Actually, I must say mm. that the software it allows you to install on the NAS, so it runs the NAS almost like it's a little computer in itself. Yeah. yeah okay. So I will obtain the file um, that I want to watch, and I will download it directly to the NAS um, so that it's not hogging like my own like laptop resources or whatever and it's in one place and when it's done there it does it updates it indexes it displays beautifully in the synology software suite right. and i can access it on any device anywhere in the house as long as it's connected to the wi-fi right okay this is cool as usual you're a few steps ahead of me what i think i'm hearing you saying is that you're using the downloading apps inside the synology to do the yes. downloading yeah, yes. and I've struggled to do that. I still download on my PC and then have to copy it over onto the NAS, no, which no, is like no, so no. backwards, man. So backwards. I've also I've been testing a lot right. of. I don't know why. Mm. I've been testing a lot of high-res audio. Ah, <laughs> good, good, good. Yes, um, yes, we must cover that soon. Firing up the old ears for when when Apple hits live <laughs> with that, just to see if I can still tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of Kanye West music going uh... going straight to the NAS, and then I'll copy it off the NAS onto um, the G8X, which has the the internal quad deck. Uh, I will share all these things one day when okay. it becomes relevant. So the reason the NAS thing came up with me is not just because it's good to have things available in a sort of an offline storage capacity, as you pointed out, but they've turned the NAS into like a little computer in itself. And, you know, because I wasn't using my various NAS, I wasn't really paying attention. When I fired up my Western Digital MyCloud EX2, uh, which is, I think, three or four years old, when I fired it up a few days ago, it asked me to do a software update. And I thought, okay, let's do the update. The update was so radical, it completely transformed the interface, the the desktop for it, the um, the whole thing. It was a completely different experience and it felt much more like a more contemporary Synology or one mm. of those. So I was inspired to perhaps start using it again just because the interface had gotten so much better. And the apps that you can use to access it from your phone or from your laptop or whatever also got much better. So. Yeah, so there might still be some hope for the NAS thing. Hmm. Yeah, um, I ran into a weird problem. I was trying to connect my Sonos um, system to my NAS, and then Sonos requires like a really outdated um, encryption vibe mm. for it to hook into, and like Synology just straight up refuses to let you okay. <laughs> dumb down your system security. Uh, well. <laughs> That's quite hectic. Eh? I have that a lot when you have old devices and you now need to get them to talk to new devices. 
and they're just seen as a huge security vulnerability. Yeah. They're seen as something that must not get into this environment. It does everything it can to block your old devices from getting in. Because I was in. trolling the forums as well, and everyone was like, don't do it. Don't even <laughs> get yourself another system. Sorry you spent so much money on Sonos. Uh, uh, Sonos still great for like digital listening. Jukes, um, the music service that I am testing, which has hmm. a high-quality hi-fi um, tier as well, that is oddly not supported on Sonos and Sonos pretty much as deals with every music streaming service around there. Jukes is obviously owned by Tencent, which is oh, uh, the majority shareholder is Naspers. Um, they're doing some share swapping there between the holding company of those shares, which is Process, um, trying to get around some tax vibes, trying to get tax compliant in South Africa. We've spoken about that. Naspers also on the run, trying to get some money so that mm. they can combat the upcoming threat of Amazon. But those things sometimes get explained on my website, which is thatopinionguy.co.za. I'm that opinion guy on YouTube, sharpshooters, S-C-H-U-T-T-E-R-S, um, on the social medias, on Twitter mostly, where I like mm -hmm. to fight with people. You can email us at the email address that Gavin's going to give you, and we will send you some Clubhouse invitations if you want to get some of that Clubhouse Ooh. action going. Good idea. And that's my story for the week. Gavin, what's up with you? Uh, let's see what's going on. I've just received the new Nokia 5.4, which is not so new. It's new to South Africa, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of already old for the rest of the world. I wrote a fairly detailed review of Oppo's Reno 5 on the Tech Radar site. When I say fairly detailed, I mean, I, I, I got into the stuff that would be interesting to you, not the speeds and feeds and that kind of thing. Um, I decided I really loved the Oppo, but it hadn't done enough to earn its place alongside the Samsung S21 and the Apple iPhone 12, which mm. are at the same price roughly as the Oppo Reno 5. Loved other things about the Oppo, uh, Oppo Reno 5 a lot. That's all in my review on Tech Radar. Uh, together with my mid-range, no, uh, let's call it my budget phone champion, the Samsung A32, also on Tech Radar. You can go check those reviews if you're buying at the bottom end of the market or towards the top end of the market. Go and check out the Oppo Reno 5 and the Samsung A32. Um, that's about it for me for the time being. I've got more gaming gear incoming, and I'll be letting you know about that. Yeah, time. tons of stuff. Um, in this podcast stream, you will find some interviews with the people we were speaking about. So I spoke to Barry Berman, the CEO of Fines SA, about the upcoming changes to the traffic laws. Um, you are getting the demerit points from the 1st of July if you live from in Johannesburg or the Chwane Metropoles. Um, and yeah, that's going to be cool. We have that chat with the supersonic CEO and yeah, that's it. Cheers guys. Cheers guys. <laughs>